Place Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and we've got a great show for you today. Today we will be talking to a first-time mystery novelist, Zach Budrick, uh, whose first book, Judith, uh, just came out in December. In addition to you, Zach, we'll be talking to a couple of folks who are experts in the field of uh, mystery, and we'll give you some great book recommendations. Uh, but first, let's hear from our sponsor. Down and Out Books is the sponsor of Wrong Place, Right Crime, and here to tell us what's going on at that uh, publisher is the chief editor and founder, Eric Campbell. Yo, Frank, this is Eric Campbell, Down and Out Books. We're on a roll in 2018, man. I want to tell you, your listeners, about a couple of wonderful books coming out this month. First up, Eric Beatner's Lars and Shane crime series finally comes to its rocking conclusion. This one is called The Devil at Your Door, and we find Lars and Shane chilling at their island home. But there's unfinished book business for Lars to take care of. Criminal Element says the series is as if he took Lawrence Block's famous hitman, Keller, and made him the love child of Elmore Leonard and Quentin Tarantino. We are also reissuing the first two books in the series at the same time. Up next, Slaughterhouse Blues by Nick Polakowski. This is the second book in Nick's Love and Bullets hookup series and is from our Shotgun Honey imprint. We catch up with Bill and Fiona, the chattery and gun-happy anti-heroes, a brutal batch of heartbroken saps soon after they've escaped the Rockway mob, the crime enterprise from which Bill borrowed several million dollars. This time around, they're on a run from a pair of amoral assassins and craziness ensues. These books are all available for pre-order now. You can find out more at Down and Out Books. And Frank, as always, thanks so much for your support and asking me to come on the show. Thanks, Eric. Folks, I've uh, said it pretty much every episode, but Down and Out Books is a great publisher, and I'm proud to be one of the many authors in the in their stable. Uh, you heard him talking about the Eric Beatner Lars and Shane series, and I can't recommend that highly enough. Eric Beatner is a great, great author, and that is a great series. Uh, now it's time to meet the, the guest for today's episode, uh, and that is Zach Budrick. Uh, Zach is, as I mentioned, a first-time novelist. Uh, he His book uh, is called Judith, and uh, well, we'll let him explain it. Let's meet Zach. Well, hi, Zach. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So um, our our guest last month, uh, when you were featured in the Flash Forward questions, was our first Canadian uh, ever, and you, oh, awesome. I think you are are uh, the first um, debut novelist that's been on the show oh. so far. Uh, oh, so, yeah, so you're first. <laughs> nice. Um, so your novel is called Judith, and mm-hmm. it is uh, obviously crime fiction. Uh, yep. Why don't you to tell me about it? So it's. The premise of the novel is that a a vigilante group springs up in New York that begins targeting unpunished uh, rapists or just general abusers of women, and the perspective is split between a reporter, a cop, and a mafia underboss who are all uh, in search of um, the... Uh, of who these women are for various reasons pertaining to various agendas. So the women who are being victimized or the or the women who are going after the victimizers? Yeah, the the women who are the actual group, Judith. 
Oh, okay. Oh, so the women, it's it's a group of women that have banded together to get their revenge. I see. I see. Now, um, the three people that are going after him, you have a homicide Mm. detective uh, named Catherine. Um, Mm -hmm. I assume she's going after this group for obvious reasons as a police Mm -hmm. detective. Uh, the reporter wants to report on it. What is the uh, the mafia guy's motivation for finding this group to like congratulate him? Or well, he ends up roped into it because they uh, one of their first kills was a subordinate of his who uh... was uh, sex trafficking under the table. Which, of course, obviously, you know, uh, regardless of how much they deserved it, if a mob associate is killed it's going to bring you on the radar of the higher ups sure sure so uh, this came out in uh, about mid-december it looks like mm-hmm. and uh published by quill now is is quill an independent publisher or a self-publishing platform i'm not familiar with it quill is a division of this publisher called Inkshares, which is sort of like a crowdfunding model oh. uh what they'll do is if you put your pitch out there and get enough uh, people to commit to a pre-order, uh, they will publish your book. Oh, that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. So um, where would the motivation for this come from? I mean, uh, it's set in New York, and, and mm-hmm. uh, I know from our previous conversations that you you live in Alexandria, Virginia. So it's uh, obviously you chose New York as the setting very purposefully, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, I... Uh, my background is not in New York, but I've been there several times, and I'm extremely fascinated by its history just and its culture just because of just how much of America, for good and for ill, comes together there. And so, you know, I, I think it's got almost mythic qualities, as pretentious as that probably sounds, that <laughs> I think works, I think makes it work uh really well as a setting uh both for uh for for a lot of genres really but uh especially uh crime fiction and even more so the kind of crime fiction that i really aspire to write which has something to say about modern society in some way or another yeah i think uh i'm certainly not alone in in thinking that uh that that crime fiction and and uh, detective stories and, and noir has really been much like science fiction, a vehicle for uh, people to comment on, on on our society with uh, without really the reader maybe noticing it up front because it's cloaked yeah. in, in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, so you chose New York because of that history and because of the the uniqueness of the setting. Mm-hmm. I chose. I the other thing. As weird as it is, the other reason I chose New York, I think, was because of, especially compared to historically, how safe it is in terms of a city of that size, and especially a city that, uh, to some extent, still has kind of an organized crime presence, which really, I think, made it fertile ground for a story about how a group like this would disrupt things, not just among civilized society but among criminals as well who have sort of found a flow that works for them without things getting too violent yeah they're sort of just upsetting the status quo regardless of whether it's on the the uh, 
legal or not so legal side of the of the coin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, was this was there any real life inspiration for this group, or did you invent it out of whole cloth? There was a an article I read uh, several years ago. Apparently, uh, in Mexico, that uh, it's especially common for women to be sexually assaulted by bus drivers. And there was a woman, I don't think she was ever identified, uh, who just began getting onto these buses whose drivers had been uh, connected with this kind of thing and shooting them and leaving. And uh, uh, that sort of got the wheels turning for me. So there was a real-life uh, inspiration behind it. Yeah, that and uh, the other the other big one was it's the... And I explain this in the story as well, but the namesake of Judith is the the biblical story of uh, Judith, this Israelite widow who made like she was going to seduce Holofernes, who is this invading warlord, and then she and her maidservant uh, decapitate him. It's there. Uh, there's a ton of famous uh, paintings of it, uh, particularly one by Artemisia Gentileschi, who was herself a survivor of sexual assault. And so it's sort of, it's it sort of become this very potent cultural symbol of uh, women pushing back against abuse over the centuries. Well, and it would seem to me that this sort of a of a premise would be even more um, timely given the recent events in in the U.S. Um, yeah. Did 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 you start writing this book before the? Uh, revelations in uh, the music, in the movie industry and the Me Too movement, or were you? Oh yeah, yeah, did definitely. Okay. I I began writing it uh, in late 2012, actually, and but yeah, I you know I didn't I, I didn't necessarily plan to have something uh, that would end up being freshly relevant, but and I'm I'm glad it is. Obviously, I'm. I, I, I kind of felt like these conversations were a long time coming at the time. You know, I haven't read the book yet, so I don't know uh, how how it turns out. So I can't throw any spoilers out there, uh, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, but uh, it sounds uh, timely. It sounds interesting. It uh, definitely has some relevance with with all that's going on. Although, I, I get the feeling, and and maybe the. You know, maybe I'm an insensitive male not paying close enough attention, but I get the feeling that what what women are saying in this movement is is not, hey, we want to get revenge. It's like, hey, knock it off and admi- yeah. and, and admit that it happened and does happen and stop it. You know, and I, I think if, yeah. if that were to occur, most people uh, would would be all right. Now let's move on as opposed to getting uh getting revenge as, as, uh, is happening in your story. Oh yeah, obviously I, uh, I didn't, I, you know, I think obviously to some extent I started writing from a place of anger, but, uh, as I continued, it was less more of a, I think a wish fulfillment thing and more of a, uh, sort of an examination of just how much, uh, if a group like this existed, like I said, just how much it would disrupt things. Like uh, if this was, if this became something that abusive men like had to fear, how would that change things? It's interesting. It's uh, it's an interesting premise. I, 
this this uh, came out in December, so it's been out for a little over a month. Uh, how's the feedback? I you know I, I think it's going pretty well. Uh, a big part of uh, how I how I got to that magic number in terms of getting it published was uh, but was bugging friends to see if they would uh, do me a solid and share the link on social media and stuff like that. And a lot of the people who who bit when they put it out there uh, have been in touch with both their friends and and me in some cases to to say that they've been enjoying it and I uh, I mean that's great to hear obviously yeah for sure now this is your first novel uh, published novel mm -hmm. right yep uh, but you're no uh, stranger to writing in fact uh, unless my internet research is extremely shoddy that's how you make your living mm-hmm and so what's what is your uh, professional background then i've been i've been uh, in journalism actually most of my adult life i and that that's i am originally from richmond and that's why i ended up in the washington dc area i have mostly for for my day job mostly covered policy uh topics i covered healthcare for a few years and now i'm now i cover the drug industry like the pharmaceutical yeah, industry? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, just making sure with the uh, crime fiction uh, connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that, no, uh, that, that drug industry sounds like a, almost a large like cartel. Thing. <laughs> Are you in the drug industry, young man? Yeah. You know, that's funny that you make that impression because I'm looking on uh, Amazon right now. I brought it up mm -hmm. before we, uh, before we uh, started talking and you're, you're about the author piece uh, says that you report on healthcare for a living, but that you quote the symptoms recreationally mm -hmm. and that, you know, there's an intersection of those two. If you just look hard enough. Uh, oh yeah. So I big Simpsons fan, huh? Oh yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it's, I watched it a lot when I was younger, but it's just so dense in terms of the jokes that I can go back. I can uh, go back as an adult and laugh at things I never noticed before, which you know I really appreciate that in anything. Yeah, I think that's a big. That's a talent that uh, not all humorists have, and that is to be funny on on different levels. I mean, uh, I'm more of a Family Guy uh, aficionado, but it's the same thing. I mean, in, in, yeah. in shows like that where there's the obvious. Uh, the guffaw that everybody gets, whether you're old or young or, or, or paying attention or, or, or just kind of sitting there, you know, you'll get that joke, but then there's layers underneath that. And, uh, another show that does that really well is, uh, that I really enjoy is Archer. Uh, oh God. Yeah. I love Archer. <laughs> I just... Talk about I... layers. <laughs> there's... I, I think somebody, uh, did like this uh master list of all the uh deep cut literary references that they made on archer that had to be the target audience like 15 people it was amazing wow <laughs> um you know the other thing i noticed in your about the author piece here that i found <laughs> interesting was uh that uh, a couple of things actually, but one is that you wrote that Judith is your first novel. Embarrassingly enough, uh, <laughs> what did you mean by that? Jeez, uh, I guess I. The thing is, I'm pretty sure I came up with the text of that uh, article with the text of that bio before I had finished the book. 
uh, because it had taken me longer than I had planned finishing up the book at the time. And I guess the the motive there was uh, every time uh, somebody looks me up, it's going to be a little kick in the pants to finish the next one uh, more on schedule. Ah, I see. I see. Uh, well, speaking of the next one, uh, there is a next one on deck, right? There is, yeah. What's Do you have a title for that already? Uh, it is called uh, Where We Stand, which was a paraphrase of uh, the mayor, the slogan of the mayoral campaign of Louise Day Hicks, who was the leader of sort of the uh, right-wing populist anti-busing movement in Boston in the 70s, which is what the book is about. The book is set during the busing crisis in Boston, and it's almost sort of a Romeo and Juliet setup about a uh, black boy and an Irish girl who fall in love amidst amidst uh, this sort of raging controversy that uh, is, you know, it's honestly, it's one of those things that got so crazy that I, I feel like. I'm, I'm going to seem like I'm exaggerating things just if I include stuff that is in the historical record. Well, I mean, reality, it, it, there's there's all kinds of realities out there that people will say if, you know, if if I pitch this as a movie, they'd tell me it wasn't real. It was it was too outlandish to be real. Uh, so uh, what what are you what which part of the busing issue or is there an area that you're focusing on or? or just the entirety of it yeah i mean i'm mostly just uh trying to tell uh trying to pick individual stories out of something that i think history mostly talks about in terms of uh policy and its long-term effects and just the images uh we saw in the news and you know this i i feel like i like just like I tried to stay in my lane, uh, writing about uh, this these issues that affect women as a man. I'm similarly uh, trying not to not, not to overstep in terms of uh, writing about things I don't necessarily know when writing about race. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I think that it's. Uh, I mean, at heart, if I if I get it right, it's just a story about two people falling in love while everybody else was hating each other around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like to think that a good writer can pull that off. Yeah. Not just uh, everybody else around them hating each other, but everybody else expecting that they should hate each other too. Yeah. 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 You know, the thing about busing that, you know, I mean, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in the, in the seventies uh, and eighties was when I went to grammar school and high school um, and so it, it, it never touched my life on a personal basis. And so I, I've had to look at it as an adult uh, rather than mm-hmm. as a participant, as a as a kid going through it. But it always seemed to me that that uh, in spite of the uh, the good intent behind rectifying an inequity, which absolutely is a good intent, there's a certain bit of there had uh, there would be for me anyway, a certain bit of resentment if I were any of the participants being told you will go here and be with people you don't want to be around instead of be here around people you want to be around almost like daddy knows best sort of response, you know, uh, enforcing of, of that. And, and so, 
you know, it, it, it had to be a scenario where some, in some instances, nobody was happy about any of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a big part of it. Uh, I mean, like, obviously, the, the intent is good, and uh, they're particularly outside of the South, uh, when institutions have what they what the courts call de facto segregation going on, sometimes it does take uh, this dramatic intervention to to turn it around to any extent. But yeah, it's nobody likes to be told what to do, even when they're doing even when they're being told to do the right thing. Yeah, or even if you're being told to do something that might ultimately be better for you than what you're doing now. It's I think as Americans, it's so ingrained in our culture and our psyche to be individualists that anybody telling yeah. you what to do is is something you're going to resent um but uh, there's but, this amazing quote that i read about how uh like huck finn is the hero of his story whereas the artful dodger has to get sent to australia because that's it's not the british culture for the outlaw to be the hero like it is for americans yeah and it, it you know it's one of those things that kind of ebbs and flows and i mean if you think about television you know, we didn't really have the anti-hero very much, and then Tony Soprano came along in, mm -hmm. in the '90s, and then that gave birth to an entire subgenre, you know, of you know Breaking Bad, and you know, and all these other shows that uh, that wonderful shows. I love them. I mean, Sons of Anarchy was a good show. I mean, a lot of these shows were the it's the anti-hero, uh, but uh, uh, it, it's certainly cyclical too. You know. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get back to our interview with Zach Budrick in just a few moments, but uh, now's the time that we turn to the experts. And by experts, I mean those people who have worked at or owned bookstores and uh, read a ton of books and are ready to give you some uh, great recommendations on what you might enjoy reading. Uh, first up, we have Cassie Clemens from Roundabout Books in Bend, Oregon. Hi, Cassie. Hi. <laughs> so this is your first time on the show. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about a little bit about uh, Roundabout Books? So Roundabout opened um, on Halloween in 20, 2016. Mm -hmm. So we've been open about a year and a half almost, and we're a general bookstore in Northwest Crossing in Bend, Oregon. So we have about 30, 40 percent children's books, and then. The other 60 to 70% adult books, which is split, split um, between fiction and nonfiction and some genre fiction, including mystery and thrillers and science fiction fantasy. And um, yeah, we just kind of cater to the neighborhood and the local community here in Bend. That's and it. you have a coffee shop in this morning. And we do have a coffee <laughs> shop that serves wine and beer and, oh. <laughs> um, and coffee and tea, Yeah, which is nice for our events. I'm glad you listed that in order of importance. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, do you, what books would you like to recommend to the listeners this month? So I picked out two um, mystery thriller books this month. The first is a book called All Systems Down by Sam Bosch. And I picked him because he's a Portland, Oregon author. And he's doing an event here at Roundabout on March 1st for his book. So this book is kind of a riveting cyber war thriller for fans that like books by Tom Clancy. It's about this elite hacker, Pak Hong Yong, of North Korean military. 
and he's ready to wreak havoc on the world as the electrical grids start to fail in the United States and satellites crash to earth. There's an out-of-work police officer named Brendan Chogan who must do whatever it takes to keep his family safe and try to find a way through the madness. So um, great new mystery thriller um, cyber story by an Oregon author. Yeah, really sounds like about. a lot of mixed genres there. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> really fun. And then the other one I picked out is a staff favorite. It's Midnight at the Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew Sullivan, and that was just released in paperback on the 9th, but it's been out in hardcover for a couple years. We like this one because it takes place in a bookstore, but we also like it because <laughs> uh, it's kind of an off-the-beaten-path mystery, so it's more like solving a puzzle. Um, so this is when a bookstore patron commits suicide and his favorite store clerk has to unravel the puzzle that he left behind. And it's written very, very cleverly uh, with lots of um, hidden messages and buried memories. And it's just a really fun, engaging read and perfect um, for people that like stories that take places in bookstores. So uh, we really like that one, too. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. And now we will hear from Fran Fuller, uh, formerly of the Seattle Mystery Bookshop. Uh, Unfortunately, the Seattle Mystery Bookshop closed in late 2017, uh, but that certainly hasn't changed Fran's uh, appetite for books. Well, hi, Fran. Hi, Frank. It's so, so good to talk to you. <laughs> you too. So, uh, you, you know, uh, Seattle Mystery Bookshop closed uh, a, a few months ago. So uh, what have you been up to since then? I've been hiding. <laughs> Quite <laughs> frankly. Um, I, I took a break from reading mysteries because it was just too painful um, and started reading a lot of urban fantasy, which is mm-hmm. a nice, nice change. Anyway, I ran into quite literally Mike Lawson, um, and I got his new copy of House Witness, the latest DeMarco. I cannot tell you how much I love this series. I really do. Um, I am just always in awe of of the DeMarco series. I liked his Kay Hamilton series, but Joe DeMarco has my heart. And House Witness is the 12th, 12th. DeMarco. So that's a a kind of a big deal, I think. But, but, let me give you a little inside scoop that I got from Mike. This was not intended to be a DeMarco book. It was supposed to be a standalone. And the bad guy was supposed to be the protagonist. See, 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 see. These are the inside things that you get when you (laughs) do authors. (laughs) Um, But his um, publisher said, it would make a really good DeMarco book. And Mike said he was kind of puzzled and thought, no, it's a standalone. But the more he looked at it, the more he saw Joe DeMarco in it. And so this is in some ways completely different from any other DeMarco book, but man, it's good. You told me you had a second book you wanted to recommend this month. Okay. This next book is is a young adult book and it's the first in a trilogy and the rest of the trilogy is not written so everybody gets to be just as frustrated as i am waiting for it Uh, anybody anybody who reads a song of ice and fire knows about that (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah this is maureen johnson 
I really liked the Shades of London series, which is a ghost story, but it's also a murder mystery set in London and involves the ghost of Jack the Ripper. And the fact that it's young adult does not mean that adults can't read it. In fact, I think more adults should. But this book is called Truly Devious, and it's about a girl who goes to a special boarding school in Vermont because she's this particular school takes in tuition-free, specifically creative types to let them expand on their creativity. And back in the 30s, there was a kidnapping that took place at this school, and our heroine, Stevie, wants to solve the mystery. That's, that's her purpose. But the book goes back and forth between the 30s and today so that you get to see a little bit of what was really happening on both sides. And one of the things that I love about Maureen Johnson is she talks about difficult subjects without being preachy. In this particular case, um, Stevie, our, our protagonist, has panic attacks. She has anxiety problems. And they lead into some self-doubt stuff. And the way Maureen Johnson handles it is wonderful. And the fact that the writing is great doesn't hurt. And this time it's a straight up mystery. I can't wait to see, because if we don't find out who did it in this book, I don't know where she's going to go with the next two, but I don't care. Um, I want them, <laughs> I want them now. But well, I just, good things come to those who wait. <laughs> I will be patient, but I don't have to like it. Thanks, Fran. You know, I bring folks like that on the show because uh, they read so much and have so many interactions with the authors and uh, just have a, a great perspective and are able to share that with you as a reader. And uh, we all know how many books there are out there, and sometimes it's hard to decide what to read. Uh, and recommendations uh, from whoever you trust is usually the determining factor what you decide you're going to actually sit down and read. So that said, uh, let's get back to our interview with Zach Budrick. Did you, uh, you know, you write for a living. So, I mean, you, you, you write an article or, or, or an interview or a, an editorial or any kind of a journalistic piece. You start it, you finish it, you're done. You know, there, there's got to be a certain sentence of satisfaction like any other work. Uh, was finishing Judith a different kind of satisfaction for you or did it feel very much the same? I mean, I finished it before I had the actual deal to get it published. Uh, really wasn't even on my radar at some point, but yeah, there was absolutely uh, this sense of, uh, you know, wherever I go from here, I have finished this 300 page book and that's more than a lot of people have done. That's more than I had done just a couple of years ago. It's just, it was almost uh, Daniel Day-Lewis at the end of There Will Be Blood, sort of, I'm finished, sense about it. Mm -hmm. Was it different? I mean, uh, the writing, uh, the act of writing, the, the craft of it, was it uh, considerably different than your day-to-day -day work? Or, uh, I mean, certainly I, I imagine that obviously the tools that you use, the toolboxes, uh, has a lot of crossover, but was it different for you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I actually started just, uh, I wrote the first few chapters and sent them to my friends to see what they think, see what they thought. I don't know if I was even thinking about 
ever actually getting this published at that point, but you know they were they said they were hooked and they wanted to read more. So I initially started uh, writing it almost to continue entertaining them, but I that was ended up being really helpful because their anticipation sort of gave me a deadline of sorts and it kept me motivated. Well, anything you can do to keep your putting words on the page every day is a good thing. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and and friends and family support can just can really get you through uh, any difficult Definitely. times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a not an insignificant number of journalists who have turned to fiction successfully. Uh, for sure. And so it doesn't surprise me because journalism requires such disciplined writing, and yeah. and uh, so it doesn't surprise me that you could turn to to novel writing and, and find success. Uh, I wonder if the challenges are different for a journalist turning to, to writing novels than for other novelists. Uh, uh, what do you think? You know, I think to some extent, but I also think that working in journalism all day can also help uh, with writing fiction just because anyone who has had to just wait or stay on stay on hold forever or knock on doors or keep calling back or emailing, waiting for a source or a spokesperson, they'll uh, think this could be so much easier if I just, if I was in charge of what they said and <laughs> with fixing you are. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> if these people would just answer the questions the way I want them to. <laughs> of course, journalists will often uh, ask questions a certain way in order to try to get that to happen, but, but yeah. you don't have total control, that's for sure. That's for yeah. sure. When we spoke um, during your uh, flash forward, your, your, your quick hit questions uh, a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, uh, you mentioned that uh, uh, Dennis Lehane is your is your favorite author. Uh, yeah, he, he's from he's from Boston, and most of his books are set in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are setting your second book in Boston. Is that uh, is that a coincidence? Uh, I mean. Honestly, I think that it's got a lot of the same. Well, I have I have a background there uh, for starters, but I also think that it's got a lot of sort of the same mythic elements as New York does. Uh, actually, have a I don't think it's a quote in my current book. It's just something that I wrote down to use in a later book. Uh, that I think it's an extremely American paradox that Whitey Bulger and John Adams come from the same city. <laughs> That's pretty I, funny. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I I think Boston is a city that has a lot of personality. I mean there mm-hmm. there are a few I think New York, Boston, Philadelphia, they, they those are all very uh, uh there's there's a certain amount of personality to to those cities where some cities they don't have they're a little more bland. Uh, sure. Certainly. Uh wh- speaking of Dennis Lehane as long as we're on the topic there, uh, what's your favorite book of his? I would say probably Darkness Take My Hand, which is the second of the Patrick Kenzie, Angelique Guitaro mm-hmm. books. It's, yeah. uh, I love that entire series, mm-hmm. uh, but that is one that's just, uh, it really zeroes in on the stuff that I love in a story and the stuff that I tend to return a lot to in my own writing, which is uh, uh, just these 
this idea of the specter of the past affecting you in ways that you may not even be conscious of and just how much our history as a community uh, stays with us. You know what? That is a great series, the the Kenzie Gennaro series. I love it. I love the interaction of them. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I'll be honest with you that the only two that really stick out, like to where I could tell you the plot right now, uh, is obviously mm-hmm. Gone Baby Gone, which was uh, just stellar, and and not a bad movie uh, yeah. by any means. And then uh, the more recent one, the 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 kind of the the sixth one, uh, Moonlit Moonlight Mile. Um, I liked. Uh, That's a great one too. Yeah, I really. The thing about Dennis Lehane that I enjoy so much is you know he writes the same you know gritty sort of story that a lot of crime fiction authors do, um, and and. And it's it's just the lyrical quality of his prose is so yeah. uh, just it's it's a delight to read. I mean, uh, yeah. the words are delicious on your ears, you know. Absolutely. I think the other thing that I really appreciate and has been an influence on me is that you know uh, you have these you have these other authors who have these series that go on for ten, fifteen books and. Whereas he makes sure that uh, his characters very realistically bear the emotional scars of mm-hmm. uh, what's happened to them. And it's, yeah. it, you I think he really realistically portrays how that will build up and take its toll on a person. Yeah, that that just adds so much realism to those characters. I mean, do you yeah. think, uh, I, I, having not read Judith, I I don't know if there's room for it or not. But uh, is uh, will any of those characters uh, continue in a future book, or is it a is it a one off? I think that I will probably do something more specifically uh, with Kenevi, the detective. Uh, but you know, it's the sort of lightning in the bottle. Uh, circumstances that lead these characters to be in each other's orbits for the events of Judith, I don't know, would just feel contrived to find some other excuse for them all to be involved. So Catherine is the is the one that interests you the most in, in terms of future books? Just one that interests me the most, and without spoiling anything, I think she's the character whose story uh, suggests more to come. Well, the description on Amazon for the book uh, says that Catherine Kenevy, did I say that right? Yeah. Is an NYPD homicide detective with a drinking problem, an Irish temper, and an unflagging commitment to any case she's assigned. So certainly there's a lot of mileage you could get out of that description. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of of places you could go. Oh, yeah. You know, another thing that came up when we were talking uh, for the flash forward questions that uh, I was personally ex- excited to bring up is uh, when I asked you who your favorite singer was, you uh, you said it was Springsteen. Yeah. That's uh, by far and away my, my favorite musician as well. And so uh, it's always nice to, to uh, come across someone who has the same appreciation. What is your era that you're most uh, enamored with? of his work. I'm going to have to go with Nebraska. I think that's an all-time great album uh, just of any artist. Yeah, and it has quite a lot of uh, crime fiction uh, elements to it, that's for for sure. Uh, That starkness and that really, all the characters are very, very subtly but very clearly evoked from from the the way that they're written. 
I've always felt like uh, a lot of Springsteen songs are a pared down novel anyway. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, if you if you look at uh, the Wall, uh, some more recent one that's a good example. Uh, certainly, Backstreets. If you want to go back to the Born to Run era, mm-hmm. uh, the Hitter from from Devils and Dust is uh, uh-huh, so good. It could be a novel, yeah. Swinging back around though to uh, to Judith and the premise, yeah. Um, and and we, we touched on a little bit how it how it ties into, uh, albeit not purposefully at the time that you wrote it, into current events. Um, mm-hmm. With your work as a journalist, these these uh, these events have to be interesting to you on a variety of levels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's you know it doesn't really come up in the in what I cover in my day job, but it's definitely something that I follow uh, on my own time as much as possible. What do you think was the, you know, I mean, this seems like it, it really exploded from the the movie industry, which is notorious and mm-hmm. in, in, yeah. in the way that, 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 uh, women are treated. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they call it the casting couch for yeah. a reason. Yeah. Um, what, what do you suppose was the catalyst for, for, just such a widespread response. Uh, do you have a theory about that based on your your work or your your research? I'm going to try not to get uh, too political, but I do think that, and it's not even necessarily a partisan thing necessarily, but I think that uh, since the 2016 election, there has been a lot of uh, frustration among women especially and i think that it doesn't necessarily uh even directly tie into politics i think that uh just there's this sense of you know sick of just just a lot of women i think are have been sick of this idea that they're nailed to the wall almost that they're that they're cornered uh, by these circumstances and i think that that frustration has been building up a lot before the election as well, uh, probably uh, for the last uh, several years to some extent. And, you know, I think that all it takes is a little push sometimes. So obviously the the Harvey Weinstein thing was the big uh, catalyst and a lot of the similar revelations in terms of the movie industry. But um, my hope is that, and I think that we're seeing some of this in the Time's Up campaign that several uh, that several actresses announced. Uh, my hope is that the spotlight the spotlight shines a little on working class women, uh, like women doing hourly wage type jobs that don't necessarily have the resources to go public or seek legal options uh, for these kinds of circumstances. Because I really think that those are the people who would be best helped just by being able to tell their stories in the public eye. You know, it, uh, from from where I'm sitting, watching all of this happen, it it, it just reminds me of the old saying that the uh, uh, the best disinfectant is a little bit of sunlight. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, and it's astounding when you see revelation after revelation. Uh, I think being a man has almost hindered, at least for me, hindered my perception of how widespread it it really was. Yeah, uh, or really is, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working on uh, where we stand. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a, a release date yet, uh, or at least a projected release? Not a. I don't have a release date yet. No, I'm. 
I figure I will uh, work on figuring that out once I have a better idea of when I'm actually going to finish the damn thing. I'm <laughs> I'm about I'm about to cross the hundred page mark, and hopefully that'll uh, get the wind to my back. Spend any time looking on the horizon past that? Uh, well, there's actually I have I have actually another another idea for a project uh, that feels very timely. Uh, it's almost a sort of a fake news based crime thriller. It's about a woman who is a fact checker of the kinds that a lot of sites, a lot of news sites currently employ. Uh, whose job is to just write up whatever, if a story that is going viral is false, to explain why it's false and how. And the premise sort of, of mine... Snopes sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. And the premise of mine is that uh, she ends up uh, debunking one of these viral stories, but there turns out to be far more to it than she initially thought. And just... She just ends up going down a rabbit hole of some, you know, extremely dark, sketchy stuff that I am still working out the details of because I haven't started writing it yet. That sounds fascinating, though. I mean, t timely Thanks. and uh, a neat premise. Thanks. Where can people find Judith? Where's the best place to find it? Uh, best place is probably uh, through my Amazon page or through my Inkshares.com page. Where can they, they find out more about you? Uh, they can find out more about me through my uh, Goodreads page. When are we going to get ZachBudrick.com? Jeez, uh, when, <laughs> uh, when, uh, when this becomes my day job. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, Judith sounds like a, a really interesting premise. And uh, for uh, uh, journalist-turned-novelist Zach Budrick, I want to say thanks for coming on the show. And uh, good luck with, uh, with Judith and uh, your, your next book, uh, Where We Stand. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Uh, everything you wanted to know about Zach Budrick. Guy can write, and he has a very interesting premise. And uh, as interesting as Judith sounds, I'm actually even more compelled by the uh, second book that he's uh, talking about, that, uh, uh, Where We Stand. Anyway, um, our next episode will feature uh, Joe Clifford. Uh, Joe has a very interesting life story and uh, uh, is also a down-and-out writer, as of just recently. Uh, and we caught up with him for the Flash Forward Questions feature. Joe Clifford, what city do you live in now? El Cerrito, California. Your favorite writer? Jack Kerouac. Favorite movie? Rocky. Favorite TV show? Seinfeld. Do you have a nickname? <laughs> Nothing I can repeat. <laughs> <laughs> what are you working on right now? I'm working on the fifth Jake Porter book. What hobby do you have that has nothing to do with writing? Golf. Accepting golf. What is your favorite sport? Baseball. Your favorite musician? Paul Westerberg. Your five second advice to aspiring writers? If you're good enough and you don't quit, your work will get out there. Where would you like to go that you've never been? Jesus. At least you think of that 70s song, I've never been to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> happiness. I want to go to happiness. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> What's your favorite quote? The tragedy of life is not the beautiful things die young. It's that they grow old and mean. Raymond Chandler. That's a cool one.
Okay, there it is. A quick look at Joe Clifford, and we'll take a much deeper look uh, in the March 2018 episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime. Um, I want to say thank you uh, to Zach Budrick for being my guest, and also to uh, both uh, uh, Cassie and um, to Fran for making some great recommendations to you. Uh, and I want to say thank you to you, the listener. Uh, it wouldn't be worth doing this if nobody was listening to it. And so thank you for your downloads uh, and any likes or reviews that uh, that you're able to do are greatly appreciated. Uh, before I go, I want to mention one last thing, and that is on February 19th, my new novel, uh, An Unlikely Phoenix, is coming out. This is kind of a different one for me. It's not crime fiction per se. It's more of a... Uh, near future uh, alternative history uh, sort of setting. Uh, if it's at all compelling to you, you can read more on my website. Uh, but that's coming out on the 19th, available for pre-order uh, as I speak. Again, thanks for listening, and we will see you in March with uh, Joe Clifford uh, as our guest. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.